Are you a bold leader in your business? Are you ready to make the world a better place for your employees and consumers in your community? If so, read this book. Hey, it's Dustin Burleson. You're listening to another episode of The Burleson Box. This month on the program, I have the author James White and his book, Anti-Racist Leadership, How to Transform Corporate Culture in a Race-Conscious World. James co-wrote the book with his daughter, Krista White, and they run the Culture Design Lab. You probably know James as the former CEO of Jamba Juice. As chair, president, and CEO of the company from 2008 to 2016, James led the successful turnaround and transformation of the company from a made-to-order smoothie shop to a global healthy lifestyle brand. He has held senior executive positions at Safeway, Gillette, Nestle Purina Pet Care, and in 2020, he launched his own firm, Culture Design Lab, where he coaches, trains, and leads CEOs, boards, chief people officers, and chief diversity officers on operationalizing his diversity, equity, and inclusion playbook. White is regularly featured in the media for his work, including the Harvard Business Review, The Mentor, Shark Tank, The Wall Street Journal, San Francisco Chronicle, Savoy, and Black Enterprise. In today's program, James and I share a lot of his best lessons in how you can build a company built on strong performance with a foundation of a diverse, anti-racist culture. I'm so excited to share James White and his book on this episode of The Burleson Box. When's the last time you evaluated your credit card processing statement? Our partners at Stacks are offering a free savings analysis for our listeners, where they will actually take your merchant statement with your current processor and show you where you're overpaying. Stacks has saved orthodontics practices over 40% per month on payment processing costs. So don't wait. Get your free savings analysis today and see how much you're overpaying for your credit card processing. Go to StacksPayments.com forward slash Burleson dash seminars to schedule your savings analysis today. Plus, as a special offer for our podcast listeners, if you sign up today, you can get your first two months of payments processing costs waived from Stacks. Once again, that's StacksPayments.com forward slash Burleson dash seminars. Stop overpaying. Start saving. Welcome, everyone. We're so honored to have on the program today, James White. He's the author of the book, Anti-Racist Leadership, How to Transform Corporate Culture in a Race-Conscious World. James, thank you so much for being here. Justin, thanks for having me on. Your book is one of the best leadership books I have ever read, period. It comes at a very important time for business leaders in a diverse, race-conscious world. You've got over 30 years of experience at the highest levels of corporate America as a black man. Can you share what it's like for you and your daughter to write this powerful book, both the incredible reception it's received? I see so many CEOs recommending it and, and why they're recommending it to all leaders. I think the main thing, I mean, this is uh, a pat was a passion project for me with my daughter. The roots of the work uh, started with a project that I had done several years ago with one of the boards that I set on around uh, helping them strengthen their diversity, equity, and inclusion inside the corporation. I happened to ask my daughter, Krista, to join me on the project, and we found kind of a mutual passion. We went on to do several other projects together. At some point, we look at each other and say, we really think uh, 
the voice of a CEO and experienced board member uh, with his millennial daughter might be a unique perspective to kind of catalyze uh, what we think is one of the most important discussions uh, of our time from a leadership uh, perspective. And then we started on that uh, journey and we're excited uh, that the combination of my experience and then we interviewed probably two dozen other leaders to try to bring best practices to life in a way that would be accessible to the reader. Uh, and we've had uh, fantastic reception. Yeah, I mean, it's really a playbook for how to go get this done. And I want to talk later about your time at Jamba Juice, now Jamba, because you didn't just transform the culture there. You you 5X to the market cap. <laughs> so this stuff works, right? Absolutely. I talk in the first chapter, you reference uh, study after study with ample proof that diversity, equity, and inclusion is great for business, but why are most leaders, do you think, not implementing it or implementing it incorrectly? I think the the, the, the couple uh, perspectives that we bring in the book, the, the first one is that uh, it actually starts at the top. The, the CEO, um, you know, has to lead uh, this work. It can't be delegated. And when we talk about uh, DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, uh, you can't separate that from you know, leading culture. Uh, and that's the work of the CEO and the top executives inside uh, the company. Uh, and it's not a part-time job. It's not an initiative. It's not a month. It's really uh, the most important work that we have, I think, uh, as leaders. So the uh, most critical lesson is the places that do the best job with this kind of work, uh, the, the the leadership at the top of the company really understands that it has to be built into the fabric of really everything that they do from a leadership uh, perspective. And really the most critical part of the organization where the work has to come to life is in the middle management of the organization, which is where most of us experience uh, the companies that we work for is through the middle management, that leadership uh, level that most people work for inside the company. I want to talk about that because a lot of people listening to this are making hiring decisions, and that's that's where rubber meets the road. Um, I loved in the book you dispel a classic myth where companies, and I kind of run from it like you say you do, companies that say they want to hire everyone where everyone's, quote, a good fit. That's a dangerous fallacy. Uh, what does a truly inclusive workforce and culture look like, right? And how does that affect everything? As, as you mentioned, it's, it's the fabric. Yeah, I think that's in the opposite of uh, finding people that are good culture fits is finding more people that are additive to your culture. I, I, I always want to find people that strengthen the culture of the companies that I work for, that add a different dimension to the culture that we don't currently have. And that's, I think, the epitome of, you know, building a more inclusive company. And I, you know, make a couple of additional points. Uh, the best leaders want to make sure that they can access all the talent. So we're in an environment today where people are talking about the, 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 really the great resignation and the great reshuffling. The best companies have, I think, figured out something that will allow them to retain, uh, talent differently, will allow them to access more talent. And I think one of the secrets is, uh, the companies that build environments uh, that allow all of us to bring our full selves to the table uh, and do our best work are going to uh, be the winners, I think, moving forward. 
Yeah, you did this brilliantly at Jamba Juice and your time there as a CEO. Um, you know, what's that look like? I know a lot of companies have a chief diversity officer. In my mind, often they're like chief compliance officers. They're really not, you know, they're off to the side and not really doing the real work. Uh, you know, what was that like being intentional? Maybe a listener saying, all right, this clearly is important to me. This opened up a lot of business leaders' eyes in May of 2020 with the killing of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. What, you know, what do you say to leaders that, that are finally trying to make real action in their corporations? I think the main thing is, the, again, the work has to be owned uh, by the chief executive. She has to uh, really uh, lead and own that work. And, and here's where the work has to show up. I think the commitment and the work should show up in the strategy of the company. Uh, it needs to uh, show up across all the processes that touch people from uh, hiring, uh, how we promote people, who gets certain assignments, uh, how we incent people. Uh, so every people system, uh, leaders really need to take a look at all those systems that touch people and make sure anything that looks like it might uh, disadvantage certain parts of our population inside the company or certain people from different backgrounds. We need to, you know, try to root those out of uh, the systems inside the the company. We need to look at the the rituals. What are the rituals in the company? Are there, are there rituals that we have inside our company uh, that would be uncomfortable for certain people from different backgrounds than the you know, broader set of people in the company. And I think leaders that are attuned and sensitive to really just trying to create an environment where uh, every person can uh, do the best work, uh, you know, find, uh, you know, really exponential uh, benefits in terms of the corporate culture uh, they build, you know, how the uh, companies uh, perform in, in terms of, uh you know, executing against the business priorities. I love the example when you joined Jamba Juice. You, you're kind of like me. I came from a culture where we always wore a suit and tie. Um, and, and you learned real quick in, in doing listening sessions that the employees liked the uh, the dress code, right? And you immediately adapted to that. I know that's kind of a light uh, item, but I thought that was really powerful. Can you talk about those listening sessions? And then I guess as a secondary question, what do you do when you start listening to the company and you find there's problems or you find there's maybe people at the top or anywhere that need to go? What was that like? Yeah, I think two two things, Dustin. The, the first thing is whenever I come into a new company or a new situation, I want to understand uh, what's most important in, in the context of that business operating most effectively, what's most important in terms of uh the, the culture that makes it uh, unique or special. And in the case of Jamba, uh, this casual kind of West Coast uh, healthy lifestyle uh, part of the culture, which included, uh, you know, a casual dress code was really important to uh, why people chose Jamba as, uh, you know, their place to uh, work. And so that was an easy uh, thing for me to adapt to. It was certainly different than some of the cultures that I had, uh, you know, worked inside of most recently. I, I was prior to Jamba was at Safeway and the Gillette Company, both very, um, 
you know, East Coast in terms of a tire and uh, approach, although Safeway was a West Coast company, but, uh, you know, kind of stricter dress code. So that was easy. Uh, for me, th- the other thing I always do is I want to listen to the key stakeholders, inclusive of the uh, associates or employees. And one of the things that I did when I joined Java is uh, I wanted to have people describe to me in their own words what they most cherished about the culture at Jamba and that they would have me not uh, change. And then I also similarly asked the question, what were the one or two things that we might improve inside the culture to kind of strengthen the performance of the company and make it a better place to work? And those simple questions yielded just really rich data that helped me kind of formulate my plan around people and culture and, and strategy. In, in the book, you reference another brilliant book, which I highly recommend. We'll, we'll include all these in the show notes as links. Uh, you you reference Isabel Wilkerson's book, Cast, The Origins of Our Discontents, which I think should be mandatory reading for every kid in sixth grade or sooner. You know, what do you do? And in, in her words, she says, quote, you know, in order to transform a company, a culture, a society, we have to identify old ills. And we don't have to talk specifically about any companies or anyone, you know, you work with uh, in your own consulting lab, the culture design lab. But what do you do if you identify some old ills? I guess maybe as a 30,000 foot view question, this takes some time, doesn't it? But I think you can audit a culture, Dustin, in, uh, you know, 30 to 90 days. And then I think the important thing is to uh, really be clear from a leadership perspective you know, what are the one to three things that you want to tackle in a material way that will make a difference in strengthening the, com- the, the company culture and making overall the company a better place to work? Uh, most transformation initiatives are going to take two to three years uh, to really bring fully to life and make uh, sustainable. But it just it requires just paying attention. Again, and I'll go back to just looking at all the people systems uh, that a company has from how we hire, even where we go to look for uh, the hires that we make, making sure that across every one of those systems, you're looking different places, you're uh, creating access and opportunity for more diverse uh, people. And then, you know, once those people are inside the company, you want to make sure that they find a welcoming environment where they can do their best work. And specifically identifying people you could mentor, you know, it smacked me like a two by four to the forehead when you said that you'd never been promoted in your entire life at the highest levels of corporate America, never been promoted based on your potential. But yet that happens all the time for white colleagues. What, what What's that like for a mid-level manager to say, okay, we need to look in different places to hire. We need to look for different people to intentionally promote and give a voice to this company. I think it's two, I think it's two things. Um, one is if we're going to promote people on potential, we should give everybody that same opportunity. But what happens as we, you know, promote people on potential, we all have this eye where we look to people that are like us, maybe from the same school, same background, same interests. Uh, and I view that as a really fatal, uh, flaw. So what I would advocate that I'd love to see leaders do is to intentionally make sure that, you know, whatever biases we might bring to the table, we try to 
set those to the side and really bring a more leveled uh, playing field to how we think about talent and where that talent might come from and what it might look like different than, you know, how we've thought about it in the past. Now, a quick word from our sponsor. Dr. Burleson here. You've heard that real estate should be a part of every investor's portfolio, but maybe you're unsure where to start. My good friend and colleague, Dr. David Phelps, leads an investor community that has ditched the traditional Wall Street model for the stability of real estate assets. They are called Freedom Founders, and they do real estate really, really well. David's Freedom Blueprint reveals exactly how much you need to retire. Some of my top clients have done the program. They speak highly of David and his Freedom Blueprint. With the certainty of their passive real estate investments, Freedom Founders members are free to spend more time with family or even leave the practice altogether. David has put together some special resources for my listeners. To access, just text Dustin to 972-203-6960 or go to freedomfounders.com forward slash Burleson. And now back to the program. Yeah, you've had some great, I, I think, in reading the book, uh, mentors and friends. You, you were close friends with the late, great former CEO of Kaiser Permanente. And there's a lot of Bernard Tyson. There's a lot of people listening to this that are in healthcare. He had a really beautiful gift of helping others broaden their lens, so to speak. You know, what do you think he saw or, or your friendship with him? How did that help you broaden your lens? Can you talk about that that friendship a little bit? I just thought Bernard uh, uh, Tyson, the, as you described him, the late, uh, really uh, great uh, CEO of Kaiser Permanente, uh, j- just brought a humanness um, to his leadership of uh, just that gigantic, you know, healthcare um, provider. And I think what was unique about Bernard, he literally started in the mailroom at Kaiser and went on to become chairman and CEO. And he never uh, lost the, the, the common touch of his very humble beginnings, uh, working class family. And that showed up in how they tried to deliver health care. It showed up in terms of how he listened to all employees. There are examples of how he listened to uh, nurses and really all employees to try to problem solve and make the company better. And I think he epitomized uh, servant leadership and really leaders that are trying to create the best environment uh, for everybody to participate uh, and add value inside the uh, organization. He also was a huge advocate for uh, leaders making significant investments in uh, the communities in which they do uh, business. So, you know, Kaiser was a staple here in Northern California and made significant investments throughout the uh, the Bay Area, both Oakland and San Francisco and beyond. Um, and, you know, his his leadership was really built for this moment. It was, you know, really sad that he wasn't here uh, to participate in this conversation uh, around the great racial uh, reckoning uh, because his voice would have been one that really made a difference in terms of the inequities of healthcare and in business. Uh, just a phenomenal leader. 
Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I love that section of the book. You have some other great CEOs you mentioned at, at Target and, and others you work with. Um, any common themes you've learned in, in the work you and your daughter do at Culture Design Lab uh, in, in identifying leaders and companies who move a little quicker in this? I know you said maybe 30 to 90 days for a culture audit or maybe things that where they get stuck, perhaps. Sure. Uh, I think one of the, the critical themes, and my daughter, Krista, really honed in on this point, this idea of empathy as a capability uh, is something that she she heard me talk a lot about empathy. And really, her brilliant question was, you know, can empathy, uh, if I happen to be a leader who's slightly less empathetic or a little bit slower in terms of uh you know, my application of empathy, could it be learned? And I think we posed that question to a couple dozen leaders. And I think what we found is, uh, one of the, for the, one of the ways that, uh, the best leaders, uh, build this capability is they listen, you know, more than they talk, uh, you know, but they also try to find, uh, themes in their own stories, uh, as a way to share with their respective organizations. And then they listen to the stories of others so that we can translate empathy into ideally compassion uh, and into action. Uh, again, Bernard Tyson was a fantastic example of that work. Uh, I talk about uh, the CEO of uh, Logitech, uh, Bracken Darrell, who uh, was, a uh, you know, one of the most outspoken CEOs and the, the listeners can, you know, Google uh, the statement that he made uh, around the uh, murder of uh, George Floyd and Brianna uh, Taylor. Uh, he, he talked about viewing himself as a relatively enlightened leader, but he said, I, you know, I fell short uh, and, you know, I'm going to do better. And he took himself on a learning journey, uh, made significant commitments to really diversify the supply chain of his company. That's where he chose to focus. So maybe the point I'd emphasize is uh, where each of us start in uh, really making progress in our companies is going to depend on the kind of business we're in and where the opportunities might lie. But again, Logitech, uh, technology, uh, peripheral and accessory company started with uh, a commitment to diversify their supply chain to add more uh, people of color and women uh, across their supply chain as a priority led by the uh, CEO would be an example. Another example is Target stores. They made a several billion dollar commitment to investing in uh, black owned businesses uh, as a priority uh, as one of the initiatives that they are you know, driving hard at uh, moving forward. I really appreciated that that section of the book, particularly at the time of this recording, still in the middle of a pandemic where supply chains are, are top of mind. Uh, you mentioned, and I agree, those are great places to invest, not just time, but could be a great place to invest in the future of those suppliers, right? Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's going to actually build resiliency. It'll give even greater optionality as you kind of widen the pool. Um, it's, just, it's just good for business to diversify your supply chain. And it's where money is flowing. If you're paying attention, I'm not, I have to always say I'm not a financial advisor. I am not allowed to say any of that. It's my personal experience. I've seen more and more capital flowing in to companies that get DEI right. Yeah, I just think, uh, 
there, there's a couple things. If I if I zoom out and kind of take the broader lens around the importance of this work, there is uh, more conscious uh, capital being deployed. The uh, one of the things that in the boardroom people are focused on is ESG, environmental, social, and governance is a uh, you know kind of key uh, prism, and there is capital lining up. Um, to really invest in businesses that are uh, invested in uh, improving the environment, uh, social, which is going to be everything related to DEI and human uh, capital inside of organizations and the companies that prioritize that um, are, are finding that capital is flowing to them. And this is a, a movement that is really all about uh looking at really all the stakeholders uh, from employees to uh, suppliers to investors uh, everybody is demanding that we uh, take just a broader lens uh, to really improve uh, you know kind of inside out uh, companies the communities and the investments that we make there and then how we treat the uh, planet uh, as a, a critical uh, priority and this next generation of uh, consumers is demanding it. The next generation of employees uh, views it as a table stake inside the companies that they work for. And it's just good for uh, business. The, the broader uh, we can make the participation. And you're a, a brilliant case study in this, in that your time at Jamba as a CEO, we, we mentioned earlier, you grew market cap by 5x, 500%. Uh, you know, it's one thing to kind of set the initiative, set the, the you know, the, the overall cultural goals. Uh, but you say, and you continue in the book later on, that you really have to measure, right? Can we talk a little bit about how we're going to keep track of DEI metrics in, in the company? I think the critical point that I'd make for the the listeners is uh, in business, anything that matters, we measure it is kind of the first point. And uh, the things that we measure at some point, we actually incent people or compensate people for them. And that's the way to really drive the through line. What, what I would say is, is we, uh, on a more granular basis, kind of think about what we might measure. We're going to measure both hard and soft items and um, just in the simplest terms, just looking at the the demographics of a company and that would come out in the audit of the culture where you you look at just really the the composition and makeup of the company and then the uh, top leaders set objectives on how they want to move that to match up with you know either the census or the priorities for their geography. One of the examples that we share in the uh, in the book is uh, the CEO Leslie Stretch at Medallia, the experience management company. He was one of uh, really the first CEOs to make a, a critical uh, commitment to change the black representation uh, of of his company. And one of the things that he did that was unique is uh, he committed 100% of his leadership team's uh, equity compensation based on the the commitment to to go from 1% uh, 
to 13% black representation inside Medallia over a, a few year uh, period of time. Uh, and any of your readers that knows how the compensation happens in Silicon Valley, most of the compensation is gonna be equity compensation. Uh, and it was important enough to this leader that he made that commitment because he knew uh, that that would actually drive the change. Um, in just a se several years, uh, they grew the black representation from one to approaching 10%. And I'm very confident that they will, uh, you know, ultimately uh, make the goal. But again, that kind of underscores the point that anything that matters, you measure it. That's one example of what a metric might look like. It's a great, great, great example. And that chapter, uh, I believe five or six in the book is the whole book is <laughs> truly a, a masterclass in leadership. And, you know, I think what listeners hopefully will take away. I know if you're a pro, if you're a, a, a member in the program that receives a physical box each quarter, you're going to receive a copy of the book by James White and Krista White, Anti-Racist Leadership. Uh, James, I want to thank you for, for writing the book. I um, just took so many lessons away from it in such a critical time. Uh, in our history as business leaders, and um, it's just phenomenal work. Uh, I know we're getting close to the end of our time together. I want to make sure listeners have a chance to to learn more about you and see what you and Krista are up to, uh, and and where we can include a link, perhaps, and just talk about uh, what's next. Uh, Dustin, you can uh, find both of us on LinkedIn. You can find Krista more broadly on uh, Twitter and. Uh, Instagram, uh, and we're, you know, really focused on uh, catalyzing this discussion around anti-racist uh, leadership. Our uh, consulting firm, Culture Design Lab, uh, you know, we're open, open for uh, speaking engagements and consulting engagements where we work with CEOs and leadership teams on, you know, really driving this work into the DNA of their uh, companies. And uh, I'm grateful, Dustin, uh, to have joined you today uh, in this uh, really important conversation. Thank you, James. It's an honor. Your book is a contribution to humanity and society. And everyone, uh, please get it, read it, go through the show notes. And we'll include all the links uh, at the bottom of the program. James, thank you so much again for being here. Dustin, thanks. You've been listening to another episode of The Burleson Box where we bring you and your team leaders into the conversation with today's best authors and business leaders. If you enjoyed today's program, please be sure to share us with a friend or colleague. You can visit theburlesonbox.com and sign up to receive my monthly reading list and study guides for each of the books and authors we interview. Or call us at 1-800-891-7520 and we can discuss how a Burleson Box membership monthly coaching, and our annual leadership conference can work for you and your team leaders. Be sure to listen each month for new resources that'll help you and your employees serve your patients with excellence. And until next time, remember the words of Alberto Mangel, who said, maybe this is why we read and why in moments of darkness, we return to books to find words for what we already know. Go make it a great month. And I'll see you right here next time on the Burleson Box. Are you trying to increase your treatment plan close rates while also increasing revenue? How can you do both for your dental practice without burning out an already burdened staff? The answer? 
Remote Dental Monitoring. You need a trusted HIPAA-compliant app that helps you and your staff work smarter, not harder. This needs to be an easy-to-use, easy-onboard app that your patients will find fun to use and will increase their engagement and success with aligners. You need the InHand Dental app. The InHand Dental app allows you to engage with your patients in real time, send individual and batched messages, and solve problems to increase compliance without using up chair time. The result? Happy patients, happy staff, and happy practices with more revenue and the ability to do more starts. With prices starting as low as $149 a month, it's perfect for a growing aligner business. Check us out and learn more at InHandDental.com. Plus, mention Burleson for a 20% off discount on your subscription when you contact us. That's InHandDental.com.